Hi, this is Haley Chura. You usually hear me every Thursday co-hosting the Iron Women podcast with Alyssa Gadeski. Current times are anything but usual, and I have a lot of questions. So I created Iron Women podcast mini episodes. I ask women who are endurance athletes and experts in their fields to help me and hopefully help you too by answering a few questions in 15 minutes or less. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, today I'm here with another conversation with a retired professional triathlete, Ironman champion, and medical doctor. But today's interview is a little bit different because I'm talking with Dr. Tamsin Lewis, not about her medical experience, but rather about her experience as a patient after falling ill with the COVID-19 coronavirus. Tamsin works as a doctor in the UK and first started feeling viral symptoms on March 14th. She talks us through the past three weeks of her life, including where she is in her recovery, and gives us some cautionary advice specifically for endurance athletes. As always, thank you to the Iron Woman podcast sponsors, Zelio Skincare, Noon Hydration, and Form Swim Goggles, as well as our Live Feisty Patreon community. You can find all website links and discount codes in our show notes or at ironwomenpodcast.com. Now, here is my conversation with Dr. Tamsin Lewis. Hi, Tamsin. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi. Nice to be here. Maybe not so nice circumstances, but hopefully we can we can spin a silver lining on it. We are very thankful that you're here, even under these circumstances, just to help us learn a little bit. But in case our li- listeners aren't familiar with you, can you give us a little description of your background, both as a professional and as an athlete? Okay. Yeah, I haven't been in the triathlon world probably since 2014-15 now, but my background was um, as a professional athlete for, I think, five years eventually. I trained with Brett Sutton and and that team with Jody Swallow and Economo and Nicholas Berig back in the day, that was like 2009 to 2011. Yeah, so I had a relatively short-lived triathlon career. I took it up quite late. It changed my life. I loved it. Culminated in winning Ironman UK in 20, what was it, 2015, going back now. And then I um, got pregnant with my now five-year-old daughter. I'm a medical doctor. I trained at King's College in London. I now specialize in lifestyle and preventative medicine. Yeah, so those are the key the key points, I think. And I know you reached out today because you you read a few things on social media. I've had um, diagnosed COVID-19 myself. I'm on day 21 now, three weeks since I first started having symptoms. And um, yeah, I know you wanted to kind of go through some questions and see how my experience can impact some of your listeners. Right. You are in this very unique position for, for us in the endurance sports community that you are, you're an Ironman champion, you're a medical doctor, and you are currently recovering from COVID-19. You work as a doctor. Do you think you were exposed to the virus through your work? Um, yes, for sure. Um, I think I was exposed on multiple levels from my work. I 
the we all question like who did we get it from and I think we you know I've been down that rabbit hole so many times I I don't think I can possibly you know limit it down to one individual now because I live in or did live in central London you know I was traveling in I was cycling I was on on public transport as well but I was also in contact with some of my clientele who had traveled extensively Italy other endemic areas who did um at the time were not known to have COVID-19 but since have been diagnosed so um, I think I think I got exposed uh, uh, multiple times, and it's one of the reasons potentially we think that I um, I was affected so badly in t- in terms of the symptoms and the symptom course. And you mentioned you're on day 21 now. How long were you feeling sick before you knew the culprit was COVID-19, or even thought to test for COVID-19? You know what? Um, I was in contact with people who work for the government probably about six weeks ago now and they were basically he one person in particular was telling me that I needed to start you know thinking about not going into clinic and not seeing patients um, and that central London was going to be a, a center for the COVID-19 breakout. I did take his advice but probably too late. Um, I started to develop symptoms on the 14th of March. Well, someone I know had been quite quite a little bit unwell but they said oh it's just a flu some chest tightness feel tired you know everyone was kind of going through that phase of oh it's just a flu or a cold or a rundown you know thinking about a month ago or, or five or six weeks ago that's what people thought but now we know that anyone potentially with flu-like symptoms has is most likely to be affected with this virus given it's so virulent it's so strong so my first symptoms were I, I, I was having dinner with a friend and I felt my heart rate a little bit more elevated than normal. You know, as athletes, we're so self-aware, like you could probably tell me your heart rate now without looking at a device. Uh, and I could just I could just feel it. And then I got home and I felt, started to feel really shivery. So I got this pain in the side of my stomach, which I didn't really know what it was. Thought I might be ovulating. It was kind of that classic sharp pain, slightly wheezy tummy, went to bed. And overnight, I um, had a very high fever, um, was sweating, felt super weak. I remember like crawling, reaching to the bedside table for a glass of water and my hand feeling like, like I could barely pick it up. You know, that, that time I didn't really know it, even that could be this. I thought it could be anything. You know, we have fevers all the time. Well, not all the time, but, you know, potentially a couple of times a year. But it was a weakness that came with it. It was a bit extraordinary. My aura ring, which is this, you know, device that we use that um, picks up heart rate, heart rate variability, which is a proxy for stress. You know, as an athlete, you measure it because it gives you your readiness to train index, how, how, how recovered you are. And that showed that uh, my body temperature was 3.3 Fahrenheit above normal. My resting heart rate was 15 beats above normal. And it was basically flagging red like you're sick. I took a drug called Tamiflu, which I don't know if you're aware of over there. It, it's used for influ- the influenza virus, and the, there was some advice at the time that potentially that could help. It did something. I just didn't, potentially didn't do the right thing. Um, I think it could have inhibited my immune system response because my fever decreased and I started to feel... I felt early on in the illness quite activated, quite anxious, um, had very sweaty, very sympathetic nervous system dominant, like sweaty armpits. Um, sweaty palms. It was it was quite extraordinary. Um, so it took three days of Tamiflu, and then a friend, a, a medical colleague of mine, said it probably wasn't helpful. And I think it was making me a little bit agitated. So I stopped, and I started developing some chest symptoms, sort of tightness of breath, tightness of chest, specifically in, in the centre of my chest. 
um, and that felt a little bit odd. I thought I wanted to be somewhere safe nearer my family. Um, so I got all my possessions as much as I could and my five-year-old daughter and my au pair and we, we drove to Devon. Um, and then I basically came to the cottage here and, and, and basically isolated, still not knowing it was COVID, COVID-19. And it wasn't until day 14 that I managed to get a, a nasal and a parenteral swab um, as a medical professional. They were handing out a few kits and um, said if I was positive, then they would test other symptomatic members of my household. So it was 14 days after you first started feeling symptoms that you were able to get a test and confirm that it was COVID-19. Yeah, for sure. And I was in contact with um, the NHS, which is our public health care system here. Everything had to be funneled through that. I rang them three or four times once in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. because I, I literally felt that I couldn't breathe. And that was a scary feeling. Teasing apart, as I said on my Instagram post, like what is anxiety and what is tightness of chest is difficult even as a medic when you can kind of rationalize it then it helps to get a you know blood oxygen device that you put on your finger that measures your your blood oxygen saturation it's a very cheap little thing um because then you can sort of objectify how bad this shortness of breath breath is yeah so it was quite a while um but you know everyone i spoke to was like well we don't have access to tests but you have all the symptoms you have it did you ever consider going to the hospital? Um, yes, for sure. I was at that 3 a.m. call. My, my only hesitation was they were like, look, we can send an ambulance. You can't drive. I was alone in the house at that point with my five-year-old. And I was very conscious about the effect, you know, an ambulance coming would have on her mental state. Plus, I, I was in no fit state to drive. So I kind of just sucked it up. And, um, and, but there were, there, were a few, there were a few times when I was very close. Um, to still asking for an ambulance to be to be called because there wasn't another adult in the house with me that could drive. There was my au pair and that was it. So um, yeah, it, it was tough. And there was one particular moment, and there are a few articles that are circulating online now from the research. It was day seven, <clears throat> and I remember it clearly. I developed this pain in my hip flexors and my pelvis that was so excruciating. It was like burning a burning sort of deep muscle pain and I literally couldn't turn in the bed without it being painful we now know that that is a sign that you have a particularly severe form of COVID-19 so I think if anyone potentially had less healthy lungs than I do because I don't have any pre-existing conditions for sure you they would have been in hospital so I called the the medics on that day that day seven when I developed this extreme pain where I literally felt like my body was going to fall apart if I stood up it was extraordinary and they prescribed on painkiller, and I basically took that and um, and tried to sleep. I also started on some other medication then as well on, on their advice, although a little bit touch and go of, of, of whether it worked or not. There was an antibiotic and this antivalarial drug called hydroxychloroquinone, which I took for a few days too, but couldn't tolerate the side effects. You mentioned your five-year-old daughter. Was she with you during your illness and recovery? And is how is she doing? Yeah, she's she's here, um, and you know she's been here the whole time. We haven't really we've isolated together. We've got no, no, not really any other option. Um, her dad is is not not here. Um, yeah, she's been absolutely fine. You know, children are so resilient. She, I think she had one night of having a high temperature and a little bit of a cough, but nothing that she hasn't experienced through being at nursery. You know, previously. So um, 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, the most difficult thing has been trying to entertain her and trying not to get her to worry because, you know, she understands that London's been shut down. We've come to Devon, which is basically in, in the country in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, life has changed and she can't see her daddy because he's in isolation. She can't see her nanny. And, and so that there's quite a lot of anxiety around that. And she doesn't, there's no brothers and sisters here. But, you know, children are incredibly resilient if you love them and you and you show them that you're, you're going to be all right. But, you know, there's been times that she can't understand why I'm in bed and she's needing to bring me some tea, you know. It's uh, it's difficult. But from a physical perspective, and a lot of people ask me that, you know, my experience as a medic and, and, and as someone personally is that children, they just bounce back very quickly. They get very mild symptoms. In your Instagram post, you did mention things like too much exercise, too much work, not enough sleep, and using stimulants like caffeine to keep yourself going as a potential culprit to why you got so sick and actually a hindrance to your recovery as well. Do you feel like your experience should be a cautionary tale for your fellow endurance athletes? Listen, I think it should on a, on a number of levels. I think one of the reasons I got sick potentially is that I do run on my adrenal system quite a lot. You know, it's that personality drive. I work quite hard. I, I don't work as hard as some people, but this is all in the context of, you know, endurance athletes push themselves very hard over long periods of time. I certainly don't do anywhere. You know, I don't even endurance train anymore, more than, you know, probably 20 miles a week maximum and, and, and a bit of yoga and saunering. I think the cautionary tale is that, you know, exercise is a stress and it. It, it suppresses your immune system in excess. And what does excess mean? I mean, excess is relative to your fitness, to your capacity, to your recovery time, all of the above. But we do know that um, in, specifically in that period around when you finish exercise, particularly if it's been over an hour and 90 minutes, that your natural killer cells, so that's your part of your immune system, are depleted. So your ability to fight off any exposure to any bacterial virus is significantly depleted. Plus, you have a rise in what we call glucocorticoid levels, cortisol, which is immunosuppressant. So it has similar effects. That is meant to, we don't exactly know why that happens, but it's meant to sort of make you retrieve and rest and recover. And a lot of the time we don't. Now, things that can modify that response is like, you know, like eating soon after exercise or replenishing, having a recovery drink with glutamine, specifically vitamin C, zinc, all of those things can help prevent that response. So I want people to understand that that's an important window. If you're still exercising, you must, in, um, you must really think about uh, refueling soon after it. You know, forget all this, you know, excess and fasted exercise. This is not a time to be, you know, switching to a ketogenic diet and doing excessive fasting or excessive exercise. All of that will deplete your immune response. I have been a culprit for years, you know, a, a lot of women and even men now in, in, in sport, especially endurance sport, have a history of eating disorders, dysfunctional eating, um, body dysmorphia, under recovery, under fueling. And, you know, I was probably doing that for a number of years when I was, when I was training. And that causes a dysregulated immune system. And again, I've learned the hard way and I want everyone to understand that it's important that you know, the body keeps up with that behavior for a period of time, and it can be years, but it always comes back to hit you at some point. Good friend of mine, um, PhD, MD, he said, Pam, there's no biological free lunch. You know, whatever you do digs, digs some kind of well somewhere. 
And unless you replete that, you, you know, that you're gonna, there's going to be a consequence at some point. And my work as a medical professional, I, work, I do work with athletes in my private practice, and I see longer-term consequences of overtraining, underfueling, you know, that perfectionist mindset having long-term consequences. So perhaps one for another po- podcast because it's something that um, I know even Chrissy Wellington talked to a lot about at some point, um, this concept of exercise addiction and then that can do harm. And one of the harms is, is, is this immune dysregulation. So that's one. As I said, reliance on stimulants because stimulants uh, allow us to, again, dig into that well that we wouldn't otherwise have by giving us some artificial energy. So being very cautious, specifically in this time when we need to be resting and recovering more than normal to enhance our immune system. But to just um, have caffeine, if you're going to have caffeine in your morning coffee, um, then to only have that in the morning before 12 o'clock and to avoid it in, in, in the afternoon. So, yeah, those, those are some, some pointers. Well, I love the idea of having you back on when you're fully recovered to talk more about this exercise addiction idea and and your wealth of knowledge as a medical professional and a very accomplished endurance athlete. Thank you so much, Dr. Tamsin Lewis. We wish you the best in your recovery and thank you again for sharing some insight. No problem, Haley. It's nice to talk to you. After our interview, Tamsin reiterated just how bad her experience with COVID-19 has been. She said 21 days later, she is just blown away by the power of the virus and really wanted to stress to our listeners to take extra care of yourselves and your immune systems over the next several months. Tamsin called the disease terrifying. I am extra thankful to Dr. Lewis for sharing her this deeply personal story on this platform. I hope we are able to learn from her and hopefully do what we can to keep ourselves and our loved ones safe and healthy. Thank you for listening. This has been Haley Chura with another Iron Woman podcast mini episode. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women podcast is a live feisty media production.